Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. Okay, so if you know that song, you'll know that my middle name has something to do with, th- with that. So we'll, we'll just leave it there for now. Well, it is a privilege to be here. And I have to tell you, I, when I'm asked to do this, I never take this lightly. To me, this is an amazing privilege that the Lord would allow me. And, uh, and the desire is, of course, my heart is, is I always want to make sure that I'm I'm, whatever I'm sharing with you is what God needs you to hear. And so we're going to continue in the book of Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3. But, you know, it's been interesting because I've been talking to a few different ones about this book. And almost without exception, people go, oh, but Romans is so hard. And it's sort of like, oh, I feel like I'm being condemned when I read Romans. Can I say to you today, don't feel condemned? Be the opposite. Feel challenged about what Romans has to say. Because by the time we're done today, hopefully you are going to receive what I believe is a simple message from God that helps us understand the challenging part of Romans so that it affects and changes our lives. Can we do that together? All right. And by the way, feel free to nod and amen, whatever. I like it when you respond back. I can barely see you with the lights, but I know you're out there because I got these silhouettes. And I'm starting to figure out silhouettes of who people are, too. So if it's okay, feel free to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege of being here and to be able to share your thoughts, Lord, to these folks. I pray, Lord, that these words are not my words, but your words as we look at the word of God together. And I father, pray, Father God, that we will all leave here, including myself, challenged to spur on more to be like you, Lord God. Father, I love the song we sang earlier that it said, God is rolling stones away. Lord, I pray that you will roll some stones away today and that we will walk through into the light. And I pray that for those who believe and I pray that for anyone who does not. Lord God, that this will be an awesome revelation here this morning. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, we need to do a little bit of a review. Unfortunately, I wasn't here last week. Uh, I was uh, privileged to be in Victoria on speaking on the platform. I did the scripture verses for the fallen police officer of a memorial. And uh, so I didn't actually hear David's sermon. And it's been a busy week, so I didn't get to hear it. But I want to do a little bit of review in a nutshell about chapters one and two. Because I think it, it really does set us up for chapter number three. As you all know, the, 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 or should know, the, the letter is Romans is written by Paul. He's writing to the church in Rome. Paul did a lot of traveling. He did a lot of missionary journeys, and he couldn't be at all the places. He definitely wants to go to Rome and ends up in Rome, and it ends up being the end of Paul's ministry because it, it ends up taking his life. But the reality of it is Paul is trying to help the churches at that time. 
And a lot of the Old New Testament is the letters that Paul wrote. This is one of them. He's writing to a divided church. When I say divided, divided in leadership styles and what they should believe. The rift really came about because of two things. One, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That definitely created a, a rift because the people that were leading the church felt, no, no, salvation and everything is through the law. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ. And what happened during that time is the governor, Governor Claudius, he removed all the Jews from Rome for a period of about five years. So those Jewish leaders who were in the church were actually kicked out. And now we're picking up the story where they've come back and the non-Jewish leaders that were keeping the church going, because the church had been established for years and years ahead of this, were leading the church differently. They were leading the church based on faith through Christ Jesus, not through the works of the law. And so you've got this rift happening, and Paul is wanting to help them settle that rift. We also see in chapter 1 that, uh, that he makes it very clear that all of us have sinned. And he actually creates quite a list of things that are, that when we read that we go, there's a lot of sin that he talks about. And he makes it clear that everyone's been trapped. That there is no different whether you are in the law or out of the law, you're all in sin. And he, he brings that out in those two chapters. And then I love the fact that Paul and David, you just said this very thing. He makes very clear the good news. He makes very clear that the answer to this is the gospel. But now we move on to him explaining why that is. What's the importance of it? Why is it that it's all about the good news? As a matter of fact, there are some who will tell you that Romans is the most, Romans chapter 3 is the most important chapter in the entire Bible. I, I don't have a thought on that, but I read a number of commentaries that said that. Specifically, the last few verses of chapter 3 that talks about God's righteousness, which we're going to talk about here this morning. And the reality of it is this. They base it on things like, on people like, well, f first of all, Martin Luther. If you're familiar with any of the church history, we know Martin Luther was a, a monk in the 1500s. And he was in the church, and he started to study this book and came to the realization that the way the church was doing things weren't necessarily right. And so on October 31st, 1517, he nails his <laughs> he nails the, the proclamation on the wall of the church saying, hey, here's a bunch of points we need to consider. Man is not worthy and doesn't have the righteousness to forgive sins like we're teaching. That comes from God through Jesus Christ. It revolutionized. As a matter of fact, it, it created the Protestant church as a result of it. A revelation realizing that me, unworthy, yes, I am, but there's a way that I can become worthy. And he realized that. John Wesley, a uh, British missionary, was being sent to America to to convert as many as he could. He writes in one of his journals that he's being sent to save them, but who, he says, who's going to save me? He doesn't quite get it. He hasn't quite understood Romans yet. And one of, the, one of his times in London, he goes to a conference and he's struggling. Here he is, this famous gentleman who's preacher, teacher, 
but he's struggling. And the speaker is speaking on Romans 3, but he's using Martin Luther's commentary. And all of a sudden, it goes on. Hey, it's through Jesus that I get saved. It's Jesus. And because of Jesus, I receive God's righteousness. And we'll look at that here today. So I'm going to go through this. We're going to go through this. I'm going to mostly just read the text. I'll put a little bit of interjection in here and there. Um, I'm using the New Living Translation today. I have all the translations I looked at. Uh, it, it, to me, it's, I'm a simple guy. This was simple words. It made it easy to grasp hold of it. So I hope you do the same. I also like Paul's attitude. And you're going to see that in a few minutes because I think his attitude is somewhat like mine. My wife will go, George, you're going to get in trouble. But it's a, it's a simple attitude of calling a spade a spade and black is black and white is white. Pretty simple. But let's start here. God remains faithful. Oh, and this is another cool thing about what Paul does. He's writing this letter, but he's anticipating the questions. Because he starts this chapter with a question as if someone was asking him a question. Because his goal is, is to make sure that everyone is understanding. So he's trying to think of, or he thinks of, the questions or the arguments that the Jewish leaders would make. Those that insist that it is only through the law that we can have salvation with God. Chapter 3 starts this. Then, what's the advantage of being Jew? First question. Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Now, we need to understand, and his word is, yes, there are great benefits. Circumcision here is Paul's way of saying the law. He is referring to the physical act of circumcision, but he's also referring to the law itself. And he's referring to the law and the, as the laws in two ways. We have the laws, God's laws, that are, that are um, vertical, that are between man and God. And there are God's laws that are horizontal, that are between you and me. God's laws of how I should treat you, how I should respect you. So the law is divided in these two things. So he's saying, yes, there is great benefits by still having the law. And then he goes on to say, first of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Huge responsibility. That they have the whole picture and that they need to teach us. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? <laughs> as soon as I read that, I went, duh, of course not. Of course not, which is what he said. <laughs> Even if anyone else... Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true, as the scripture says about him. Now, there's going to be a few places here that Paul quotes scripture. He's basically quoting parts of the, the Psalms and from Isaiah. You will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. David writes this part of the Psalms, and he's asking God, talking to God about the difference between right and wrong. And he's saying, God, you're the, you're the one that's going to be proved right over time. It's you. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? <laughs> in, in the Bible that I'm reading, it has in brackets, this is merely a human point of view. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, isn't that what's happening today? 
aren't, aren't, isn't our society today taking the things that we know that are wrong and trying to turn them into things that are right or the norm? We see that almost every day. And yet, again, it's, it's, it's a human point of view. And Paul's answer again is, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? In other words, God can't dabble in both sides of the coin. So you either stand for what is right or you stand for what is wrong. You can't have both, is what he's saying. One doesn't exist the, uh, with the other. Maybe in our lives it does, but it's not supposed to. But in God's case, it can't. Otherwise, he doesn't qualify to be able to be our judge. But some, but someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. And I love Paul's answer. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Stop trying to manipulate what you know is wrong in your life and turn it into something good and turn it into something good in the name of the Lord. I, I was having a discussion with a church leader not that long ago, remain nameless who it was, and one of the thing, comments that was made was, well, maybe, maybe it's time we update a few things. No, that's manipulating it. That's trying to change it. We don't do that. And Paul is saying here, no, if God is God, if God is who he is, who he says he is, which we believe he is, then it has to stay the way it is. God does not condone sinfulness. He stands on the opposite side. And Paul's making that so very clear here. And I think he just does it so matter-of-factly. No, yes, yeah, you get what you deserve, folks. <laughs> you know? Not a hard message when you think about it that way. Chapter 9, uh, verse 9. Well then, should we consider that we Jews are better than others? And again, really simple. No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As scripture says. And again, now we go in into the Psalms and into Isaiah. No one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Now, I read this, and I could go, whoa, 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 hold on, Paul. I was searching God. This says no one. But what happened when I was that kid at 18 years old, and that preacher was up front, and I knew that life wasn't the way it was supposed to be, and he did that altar call, and I came forward. Wasn't that me seeking God? Isn't that what it's about? But the reality of it is that's, that's what we think. Because 
there are things in lives that happens around us that causes us to want to seek out and, and figure out what life's all about. But what the scripture is talking about here is sin. Sin doesn't seek God. That Paul says that the nature of sin, and, and in, the, in, the, um, in, in Psalms where this is being written, it's talking about, Lord, isn't there anyone? The world is so wicked around us. There's no one that naturally is seeking you. Because you know why? Sin doesn't want us to seek God. It's because they'll be corrected. If we allow the sin in our lives to control us, we are not going to look for God. Because you and I do not want that. Well, that's where we get the, the condemned feeling comes in. That's where we look at it and we go, Ugh. so we don't want to go there. That's what he's referring to here. But if we come forward with an open heart, if we allow God to speak to us, then yes, we do step forward. But this, Paul's trying to bring a point, is specifically for the sin that dwells. That's why we can't have sin in our lives, because it doesn't look for God. It wants to do the exact opposite. And I love this last line. It says, they have no fear of God at all. Fear in this part is not the fear that you and I know. I mean, you and I understand fear when I say to you, okay, here's a good example of fear. You're going for a hike. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Let's go on up to uh, Golden Ears Park. We go around the corner as we're hiking, and there's a great big black bear standing in the middle of the path, and he's only about 10 feet away from you. I would guarantee every one of you would be going <laughs> with your heart. Some would want to shoot it. Yes, it'd be fun. I'm one of those guys. But the fear that's going to grip you is like, Ugh. my wife and I were hiking last year up in Harrison, and she didn't see the bear. I saw the bear. She heard the bear. I'll tell you, even at her age, she can move fast. <laughs> it was great to see. No more excuses, dear. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we're gripped with fear. But that's not what this is. This fear is is, is really defining we have no respect of God. We don't, we just look at what God says, the world, the sin looks at God and goes, yeah, that's just God saying that, who cares? That's why it says that a lot of times in the Bible we need to fear God, we need to respect God. We need to receive what he's saying is true. We need to not question what he's saying because he's God. He's the only one who's actually got it right. He's the only one that's actually perfect. And that's what that's meaning here. Well, now verse 19. So this is, he's kind of trying to get them here to understand, look, you guys have all sinned. You don't get it right. If you let sin rule your life, you're not even going to be searching for God. You're not even going to be seeking God. In a nutshell, in plain words, that's what he said in these first 18 verses. And I, and I, and I know we could go way deeper into some of this stuff, but you don't have enough time today. I don't have enough time today. But verse 19, now we start in the meat of this. This is where things start to change. He says, obviously the law applies to those whom it was given. In other words, God didn't give the law, and they're referring to the law from the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. He didn't give it just for the fun of it. He gave it for a purpose. It applies to them. Through faith, they obeyed the law. 
but it didn't save Balaam. He says, obviously it applies to those who, gave, who was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuse and to show the entire world is guilty before God. And you know what? I want to say this. I want to go a little further to say, you know what? The law is not only the book that they had in the Old Testament, but the law is all in, in the Old Testament. The law is also in the New Testament. It's full of it. The Old Testament law points to the New Testament and points to Christ. And the Old New Testament points back to the law because it's the character of God. It's who God is. And so the tomb are needed as much as the other. But it shows us that we're guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It brings us to a point of Christ. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Okay, i got to pause there for a second. Because he says here, Christ is replacing the law, but he's only replacing one part of the law. He's replacing the part of sacrifice. You see, if this was the Old Testament times, this is what you'd be doing. You would have all arrived here today with your goat or your sheep or your dove or your bread or your wheat. David would be dressed in a funny costume. He'd be up here at the front and he'd be slaughtering all those animals and sprinkling the blood. That's what they did because it takes blood to seek forgiveness of sin. Now, I'm obviously paraphrasing that and almost mocking you a little bit, and I shouldn't. Today, we don't need to do that. Jesus replaced that because it was Christ's blood that was shed. So that part of the law, we don't need to do. Hallelujah. That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on to say, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glory, of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, Hold on to that word. We're going to come back to it. Merely makes us, uh, freely makes us right in his sight. And I've got in my, my notes here the word justification in brackets because some of the texts I read use the word justification here. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. He replaced the goat. He replaced the lamb. He replaced the cow. He replaced all the, that, those sacrifices. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. See, in times past, he allowed them to sacrifice the animals. And they... There, they were there, that was for the forgiveness of their sins. But now Paul's saying that has changed. You guys, you don't have to follow that part of the law. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did, did this to demonstrate his, and this is the magical word, 
his righteousness. Hold on to that word. This word is the key to the entire book of Romans right there. And I pray in a few minutes I'm going to do it justice. But that's the word. For he himself is fair and just. That almost tells you the definition. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I'm going to wrap, go right to the end here, and then we'll come back. We can boast, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, you can't. Again, I love Paul's response here. No, <laughs> he doesn't beat around the bush. Because our acquittal, let's remember that word, is not based on obeying the law. It's, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith can we truly fulfill the law. Wow, that's the chapter. A lot of things there. Now, are you totally confused? I hope not. I want a little bit what I heard. There's a few words there that I said we're going to come back to. But before we do, I really love this last bit. Uh, emphasis on doesn't mean we can forget the law. And his answer, no, of course not. So we need to know the law. How many of you study the law? Don't put your hand up. How many of you know the law? Now, I am going to say the law is in the Old Testament and it is in the New Testament. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Yes, I heard that. Okay. What's the first commandment? You shall no, have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God. Yes. Second one. Idols. Yes. You guys are better than I thought. Third one. Pardon? Don't take the, yes, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number four. Sabbath, yes. I hope you guys aren't cheating. Five. Yes. Oh, you guys are so good. Six. No murder, yes. Seven. Yes. Eight. Nope. Steal. Yes, don't steal. Nine. Hey? Nine is false witnesses. Is that what you said? I didn't hear it. And what is ten? Don't covet. I am impressed. Yes, give yourself a hand there. That is good. You know why I'm impressed? Because I thought that, and I went, okay, what are they? And I tried to list them, and I couldn't. And I thought, okay, I've read that a gazillion times. Can everybody else get it? We need to know God's laws just like that. Boom, 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 boom. But the only way we're going to do it is if we're studying it and obeying it. And I'm sure that these laws here that we've just gone over, we're, we're doing this to the best of our ability. But we need, Paul's emphasis is, the law is still there for us. But there's a part of the law 
as I said earlier, is not. Okay, I told you to hold on to some words. The first one I'm going to go to is righteousness. It's not going to be up on the screen. I think we'll just th that can just stay there. Righteousness we found in verse 26, God's righteousness. What does righteousness mean anyway? Does anyone know? I mean, I just thought, oh, it means doing it right. It's more than that. It is. And there's a couple of theories about what it should be. Different commentaries said this. Most agreed with this. The word righteousness means just and right. And this is God. God is just and right and faithful to do what he promises. Okay? If you go ask Mr. Google what righteousness is, it says acting according with divine, okay, law. But then Mr. Google has to bring in the world and says, or moral law. Okay? But, I, but it's still, it fits. Free from guilt or free from sin. Ooh, that's important. Righteousness is free from sin. It is right and is justifiable. God's righteousness is total, 100% free from sin. That's what he's referring to here. It's God's righteousness. How many of you have that? Oh, yeah, you shouldn't be in here. That's his whole point here. That's what he's been saying in these chapters up until now. Mankind isn't righteous. We use the terminology. We see something good, and what do we say? Oh, man, that's righteous, man. But what we're really saying is that's cool, or we like that. But it's not the same as God. God's righteousness is 100% free, free of sin, free of guilt, and it's 100% faithful. He will do what he promised, and that's what Paul's getting at here in this chapter. He, when he's saying talking about God's righteousness. Now, where does God's righteousness come in? It comes in with the free, the salvation, the gospel, the good news. That was God's way of providing righteousness for us. So we need to go to grace. Grace was the other word it said. It says that Christ was given by, through grace. What does grace mean? Well, grace is pretty simple. It's free. Grace means it didn't cost you anything. It cost you something to get here today. Tank of gas, whatever, to drive here, your time. Grace is 100% free. And I, 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 this, is, this doesn't even compare, but it helps you understand. This is the famous, coveted chaplain's pen. You can't buy these. You can buy a pen that's a fake like it, but you can't buy this. This only comes from one person and one person alone. And that person has the ability to give it away free. That's what this is like. It's free. And so I take this pen, like God, giving us the gift of Christ. And the only thing you can do is I can freely give it. And she can either take it or reject it. And that's what grace is. You either take it or reject it. Because it's nothing she did. Not even when she smiled at me did it make a difference. Nothing. It was purely my choice. Because I'm the guy on that pen. When it comes to 
the good news. It's purely God's choice. And his choice is to give it to every single one of us free. We can't do anything to deserve it. Wow. That's amazing. So here's the coolest part now. I told you to remember the word acquittal. And in other Bibles, it doesn't use that word. That's more a more modern word, acquittal. Other Bibles, it says justification. In other words, he paid the price in full. Because of him freely giving Christ, because of, uh, for, uh, to pay for our sins, we don't have to do anything but believe. It says paid in full, nothing we do, totally by believing on the cross and receiving him as our Savior. That's the free gift. Now, here's the part that happens. When we receive that, it seems like that was God's way of taking care of the sin of the world because when we ask Christ into our hearts, then his righteousness simultaneously is given to us. It's, and this is what he's saying here in Romans. It's not your righteousness. It's God's righteousness that's covering you. And if you can almost have this picture, you have your life and there's all this pile of sin here and God standing here and, and Christ, the gift, and we, we freely take it and receive. And this all of a sudden like God's righteousness puts this wall up and you don't see that sin anymore. He covers it. And Paul's point is, we can't do that as men and women. It's only God's righteousness that totally recovers us and we are redeemed from our sin. Wow, we are justified from our sin. That's absolutely amazing when you get the handle on it. That's the part that Martin Luther got. He started to understand that, that this righteousness that, that God has is, is that gift to us. See, God had a dilemma. There was, there was this penalty for sin, which is death. And there was this mankind that was full of sin, but he loves us so much, he wanted to save us. How do you do that? And he couldn't compromise. He couldn't compromise. He couldn't be both sides of that coin of sin and, and goodness. And so that's why he sent Jesus. God in the form of a man who was sinless until he died on the cross. And on the cross, he took all the sin of the world, past, present, and future. And when he took that and died, he paid the price. He tore off that section of the wall, the law with all that, that sacrifice. He took that away because Jesus fulfilled it. And then realizing that man is full of sin, even though we love even though I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul, there's still sin in my life. I cannot be righteous. But I can in God because his righteousness is given to me. That's the heart of Romans here. And so with that, I don't need to be condemned. Worship team, why don't you come up? I don't need to be condemned. There's one more word I want to use that's not in the text as they're getting ready. There's a gentleman by the name of J.D. Gear. He's a He's, he, there's a Bible study series on video. I know one of our home groups is using him. And for the most part, he has things right. I, I, I like what he has to say. I'm going to use two of his examples. He, instead of using the word acquittal or justified here, he uses the word redeemed. He says, we've been redeemed when we receive Christ as our Savior. And he uses this as, as a coupon. Well, you're going to go to the grocery store. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately. Stuff's not cheap anymore. 
But you go through the store, you pay your bill, and the, the cashier gives you the receipt, and the cashier goes, hey, you just got yourself a free ham. So you go, woohoo, whoopee me, this is awesome. So you grab your groceries because you've paid for them, and you go out back into the store, and you get your free ham. So you come back to the till to claim your free ham. Well, that, that cashier is busy, so you go to the next one, and the person grabs the ham, types it in, and it says, that'll be $9,000, please, for that ham. <laughs> and you go, not me. I got a coupon. I want to redeem it. And so you take that coupon and hand it to them, and she says, yes, you, sir, you don't have to pay anything. It is free. But the reality of it is it cost somebody. Someone paid the bill. Was it the store? Was it the processor? Ultimately, it was the pig for giving up his life. <laughs> but the reality is, is you didn't pay for it. You redeemed. You re redeemed the coupon. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get that coupon for being redeemed from sin. And that's what Romans 3 is telling us. That's what Romans 3 is telling us. I got one more word I'm going to share with you, but we're going to do that after communion. It seemed appropriate when David texted me and said, Gord, can you do communion in the middle of this? And I went, yeah. Because this is reminding us what this good news is all about. This is, this is where it is. And so we're going to pause for a moment, do communion, worship for a moment, and then I'm going to come back and do my last word here and tie this whole thing up. By the way, we've had lots of discussion about whether we're going to continue to serve you this medicine. And for now, it's probably the safest, but eventually we'll go back to the other way. But we just need to respect every, each other. And one day you'll see a real, well, no, this is real. I have to bite my tongue here because I just taught your youth that we could do communion with Coke and a cookie. And we did. Actually, we did it with a can of Coke and a cinnamon bun, I think. <laughs> See, it really doesn't matter what it is. What matters is here. We read in Corinthians, or we read in Corinthians, again, Paul's reading, telling us here, and he says, as the Lord he passed on to us, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks and break it and broke it and ate it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Then afterwards, he passed the cup around and he did the cup, prayed and blessed it. And they, and they drank it as well. So I'll just open that. why we don't like it because if you're not careful you're spilling it all over yourself Father God I know this is a cracker but in my heart it represents Jesus Christ's body that was shed on the cross for our sins the good news Father I pray that that becomes very real to everyone here Lord I pray if there's someone here who goes well hold on I don't believe in Jesus so Lord I pray they'll pause first and receive you as their Savior. In faith, they'll ask you to be Lord of their lives. In faith, 
they will turn away from their sin, Lord God, and then be able to remember what you did for us, Lord. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, and we are so thankful that he gave his body for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's eat this together. about you, but I can't get mine open. <laughs> Me neither, eh? <laughs> Give me another chance. He still loves me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We know this isn't blood. Some say it's medicine. <laughs> Some say it's grape juice. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, again, what's in our heart. And our heart says that we are thankful for the shed blood of Jesus. Because without that shed blood of Jesus, I could not be a righteous man. I can be a righteous man because God's righteousness is upon me. And he covers me. Which takes away the condemnation. It takes away the struggling through the book of Romans. It's all of a sudden a joy to go through the book of Romans. Because all of a sudden we're learning the things of God that mean something. And so, Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Christ, even though for me this seems so wow. But it took away my sins because I'm willing to believe. I pray that all here are willing to believe, Lord God. And that as we drink this, we drink this in memory of what Christ did for us. We are so Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.